Hello there and welcome to this fine Sunday afternoon. Uh, welcome to another Wulong Talks podcast. As usual, I'm joined by Jason. Uh, unfortunately, we're not joined by Alvin today, uh, which, as you know, we have a running feud. doesn't really bother me that much. But we are joined by somebody who is an amazing person and we've known her for about a year. And she's a journalist, author, part-time superhero, I'm also told. And she goes by the name of Maria Lewis. Hello. Thanks for having me. I was like, who's this amazing person? Maybe we sound <laughs> amazing. That, she sounds great. Who is she? <laughs> just all of us in the office alone. So I was expecting you to like pull her out from under the table. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm so stoked to be here. It's, it's awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Nice thank you. Th- thanks for being here. Thanks for making the time for us as well. I uh, really appreciate it. So thank you. Um, Rich, do you want to? Yeah. Dive in with a couple of questions for Yeah, well, well, this whole podcast is going to be dedicated definitely to you. Um, last time we spoke, we only had 60 seconds. Yeah, I know. And, um... <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, what was that? Covent Garden? Yeah, Covent Garden. Covent Garden, more mm. yeah. stones. And it, it was the, one of the best 60 seconds of my life. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Smoked a whole pack of cigarettes after oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have to age <laughs> Yep. Okay. All right. So, um, so since last time we saw you or we spoke, uh, what have you been up to? Well, I I worked my last time we spoke. I was working on a TV show called The Feed, which is like um for obviously I would assume most British people wouldn't know what that is because it's a fucking small Australian television show, but <laughs> it's a nightly news show um where it's like a current affairs show. We go live five nights a week, and um I was a presenter and writer and producer on that show, and that was kind of my full time gig. And was trying to do the book stuff on the side, which is really really hard to do I don't advise that um so this year in 2017 I've been able to go full-time with the book stuff which has been great um we announced that the who's afraid series is being adapted for television with Hoodlum Entertainment and Screen Queensland who are basically for people who don't know what that means it's like the people who made Thor Ragnarok and Aquaman are essentially doing this which is really cool um and I also have been doing like a, a few other little television projects on the side and still doing journalism things like that so it's been yeah it's been it's been interesting like going full-time with the books has kind of always been a dream and it's pretty scary and uh, my first book who's afraid came out in 2016 and the second one came out in 2017 who's afraid to t-o-o like all the terrible 80s movies that you hated <laughs> splash to teen wolf to etc etc um so getting to go full-time with the books has been really exciting for me but also really scary and you know, developing it for television is a whole a whole new level and a whole new set of pressures. Um, but yeah, it's it's really really exciting, exciting stuff. A lot of stuff has happened in summary, but um, it's yeah, just a lot of condensing of things. Okay, nice, cool. nice. Cool. Um, with the television thing, was yeah. that something that you always had planned, or is it just something that just fell into your lap? I mean, like... I think for most people, most storytellers, it's a dream, but it's out. Of, it's literally out of your hands because mm. the way it works is somebody has to give a shit enough about your story to want to make it into something for television or film or whatever comics or whatever the thing is and so the way it works is um production companies will hunt down your projects and they'll buy the option so it means they have like the license to to make it or whatever Mm. and so it had been something that i'd always kind of hoped for because um i'm a big believer in if you can't see it you can't be it and i know how much characters of color and queer characters and characters that were just alternate to a white straight stereotype had meant to me growing up and had changed my worldview and had changed the worldview of my friends 
and Who's Afraid is one of those kind of stories, and so I knew how much I, I wanted to see a version of that on big screen or, or small screen or whatever, and how much I would want to watch a show like that. So it's something that I kind of always hoped for, but it's the tricky thing um, of, like, you know, The Hunger Games, for instance, where yeah. it's set in, oh, she's South American, but then it gets yeah, to the yeah. movie, and they're like, Jennifer Lawrence, who's amazing, <laughs> but she also, a uh, very, like, a white blonde lady, who yeah. they gave a fake tan and dyed her hair brown, and mm. they're like, here's your South American hero, mm. you're welcome, <laughs> and so it's also one of those scary things of adaptations don't always work out. Um, and things can change very dramatically, especially when you have, like, some specific stuff related to genre, and so I'd always kind of hoped for it, but um, when we first started having talks, and I had to keep this secret for 54 weeks, <laughs> might I say, like, we started having meetings about it in April 2016, and we announced it at the end of April 2017, so it is a hard thing to keep under your hat and mm, to keep secret, yeah. especially when you want to shout it from the rooftops. Yeah, and about, yeah. The team of people that were doing it with uh, are so talented and so cool and a lo- lot of women, and it's all dr- it's a project driven by women who are, like, super kick-ass and have, you know, been walking over the skeletons of men in the corporate sphere for so long until they're the bosses and in charge yeah. and they're the ones deciding which money <clears throat> for which project goes where. So it's really exciting. It's a long process, like... People keep asking me, um, especially after we announced it, you'd be at pop culture events or doing book signings and stuff mm. or at writers' festivals. And like, oh my god, so like, when's it airing? Like next week or mm. like next month? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child. Yeah. <laughs> the film industry is like does not work like that. It's like Inception, right? Because yeah. you know how like each layer of the dream yeah. is slower and mm. time moves differently. Yeah, I'm at the top layer of the dream, and then the film industry is like the sixth layer of the dream, mm. and it's an alternate timeline. Yeah. And so, like, you're having meetings about meetings, and it's a slow process. And it's also a slow process because there's a lot of money involved, and there's a lot of stakes. And Mm. especially with Who's Afraid, it's a country-hopping book, Mm. you know? It's set, the first one is set in Dundee in Scotland, and then in New Zealand. Mm. And there's a few scenes that take place, like, casually in New York or whatever. And you can kind of make anywhere look like New York if it's an interior as opposed to an exterior. But there's just, like, a lot of logistics and a lot of things that need to move and happen. So it's a really slow process. But it's um yeah it's one of those things that it's it's really exciting. Mm. I am I really the team of people are fantastic and when we get to that point where we start properly hiring people in terms of showrunners and directors and mm. the people I want to star in it and stuff um that's what I'm really excited about because the talks that we've had so far are kind of like my dream people like people who get it people who've done amazing work. And have really like shown their muscles, metaphorical muscles, I should say. Although yeah. some of them are muscly, like whatever. <laughs> um, some of them work out, no big deal. Um, but like they've really shown their muscles in terms of not only genre stuff, but making sure that they have diverse voices in front of the camera as well as behind it. And also, I should say, sorry, by the way, I'm just recovering from a chest infection, which is why I sound like this. Yeah. Full clarity. Cool. I haven't had like a trachectomy, like this podcast started, but yeah, so this is why. I sound like Mordor in my throat. Yeah. Didn't even notice. And I'm, and I, and I'm, you are too kind. <laughs> much too kind. And I'm happy because you talk almost as much as I do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm a talker. I'm sorry. I yeah, full, full clarity there. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> okay. Uh, all right. So let's start from the beginning. Mm. Maybe. How did you break into film journalism? Well, originally, um, I started in journalism straight out of high school. So I started working at my local newspaper when I was 16, like two weeks after I finished school. And the thing I didn't realize at the time is that the way 
old school journalism works is they will just throw you in the deep end. They'll mm. just throw you in the toughest round mm-hmm. when you're starting out to see mm. if you can hack it or if you like have a breakdown. Um, and that toughest round is crime. It's film. Uh, sorry, it's crime writing. It's police rounds. And so mm. that's mm. what I ended up writing about, not realizing that I could write about things that I was super passionate about. So for three and a half years, I was on the crime beat and doing, you know, covering everything from homicides to armed robberies, plane crashes to whatever it was. And, um, and after about three, three and a half years, I was like, oh my God, I think, I think I can write about things that I'm so passionate about. Mm. And that ended up being film. And so the place where I started my journalism career was the Gold Coast, which is like the hub for all things film in Australia. It's where they filmed Pirates of the Caribbean, mm. Thor Ragnarok, mm. Aquaman, Narnia movies, like you name it. They have filmed it there, King Kong Skull Island, the whole sitch. Um, and so it was a really great place to start writing about film on a ground level and then I eventually got into talking more about pop culture commentary so talking about television and talking about comic books and graphic novels and so I just kind of got really lucky I fell into an industry that was perfectly suited for me and then um yeah just kind of like elbowed my way in until I got to write about film and film culture and pop culture full time Okay. Cool. No, interesting. Oh uh, no, because we're just asking because obviously this is something that me and Jason have been yeah. trying to get into for years. Oh, it's a it's and, um, a it's a tough biz, and it's one of those things where it's like <coughs> I wanted to start writing about film, but yeah. I had no proven track record of writing about film. Yeah. So I was still doing police rounds full time, and then I started like a film blog on the side as a way to like hone my skills and to build up a body of work, and then it was getting to do a few film stories here, and then mm. eventually, like I've been a journalist for thirteen years. And 10 of that now have almost been writing about film, but it took a while to, to kind of elbow in. It is it is really hard. Yeah. So yeah. Any, any writing about any specific form of topic mm. is, is tough, um, which is why there's so many, like, general news reporters who write about everything. Mm. But yeah. I'm still super passionate. It sounds stupid to say. I'm still super passionate about crime. <laughs> um, but it is Heather has always been one of my interest my granddad who who raised me um was a homicide detective in new zealand for 25 years and had some crazy stories mm. um and so it's just one of those things that i've always been really interested in and hopefully at one point going to be able to get to write a crime book a crime fiction book because mm. that's something that i've always enjoyed reading and mm. that's kind of like mm. my barometer for anything is mm. like writing something or working on something that i would want to watch mm. or read you know like even the feed, that new show that I worked on, that was a show that I was a massive fan of for mm. years before I got to work on it. And some of the other stuff that I've done, it's been things that I've been a fan of first and then just kind of sort of like hustling and, mm. you know, working mm. on the grindstone until you can get in there or until there's an opening or an opportunity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting as well with the, um, <clears throat> with you mentioning, you know, working on the, the crime beat and mm. stuff like that and, and then that kind of inspiring your writing yeah. because it, it instantly made me think of um, uh, David Simon, the, yes. the guy who oh my God, the did wire. The wire and stuff, yeah, because he was, you know, obviously a, a crime journalist, legend. yeah, yeah. A, a, and a legendary journalist for, for many years. You know, I think that's one so. of the reasons so many people, so many journalists specifically are fans of The Wire, mm. because there's that saying, show your work, mm. and The Wire, you can see the work, mm-hmm. and the layer, mm. in the layering, and yeah. the structuring, yeah. and the mm. sources, and just like the shades, it's not like good guys yeah it's not this guy's good everything's great and the perspective is 
like all encompassing. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a lot of people. Who, if people know my background, they'll read Who's Afraid, especially the first book, because there's a character who's a police reporter for her local newspaper. Can I get out some water? <laughs> oh yeah, mate. <laughs> of course you can. That, that, that is my son, Lucas Guy. <laughs> he loves crime too. Yeah, he loves um, crime. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, um, in the first book, there's a character who is a police reporter. And that's that's kind of her beat. And there's a lot of stuff. People are always looking for you in your first book or yeah. in all books that you write. Yeah. And so things people will be like, oh, where are you in the book? Are you yeah. Tommy or are you so-and-so? And yeah. The truth is you throw yourself into a book and you get shredded like a blender. Yeah. And elements of you sprinkle throughout the book. But okay. the character that's probably closest to me is this character called Mari, um, M-A-R-I. It's short for Mariposa, um, which is Spanish for, for butterfly. But... Is the character that is closest to me is her, but there's also things like there's a crime scene in the book where um, one of the main characters is walking around a corpse that's been horribly mutilated by a werewolf, and that's actually based on something that happened to me in real life when I was on the crime beat. Um, it wasn't a werewolf. Spoilers. They're not real, as far as I know. Um, my whole industry hinges on them not being real. But I um, had gone to a, a, a crime scene. For, it was a, for a car accident, but... We got there, we used to listen to the police scanner. That's how you would find out, like, the shit that was going on. This was kind of, like, before social media really kicked into gear. But we heard that there was a car accident on the scanner. So jumped into the car with the photographer. We fanged it over to the scene. And we ended up getting there before the amb- ambos, the ambulance and the fireys. And it was just um, it was just a friend that or, like, a contact, a source that I knew who worked for the road police. And they were like, oh, yeah, they come walk around the scene and stuff. Mm. And horribly mangled body there Mm. like you know huge limb torn off somebody else over there and i'm 17 and just like what the fuck Mm. and Mm. i was remember i was wearing shoes at the time that were like ballet flats that were um they were like uh lined with like satin and there's so much blood at the scene that the blood ended up soaking into the material of the shoe and it went from like being an olive green to like a muddy brown and then by the time i got back to the office and realized I just had to throw those shoes out because they're just like no way I was keeping those and <coughs> not necessarily being reminded of it but it just you know like oh yeah these are my blood-stained ballet flats yeah, yeah. like lol fashion <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's something that actually happened to me in real life and that's in who's afraid but it's like not a cute story it's mm. not when people say oh where are you in the book you don't want to be like oh well this bit where she's like walking around a corpse and <laughs> there's a bit where the character gets a piece of throat stuck on her shoe and that happened to me at that particular like accident it was one of my first fatal accidents that I've been to and it's one of those things obviously stays with you for a long time um but it's stuff like that like all those elements of being a journalist that kind of weirdly work themselves into a book that's completely made up because journalism is all about the facts and you know fiction's Mm. all about make-believe so it's weird that those Mm. two things would be simpatico but Mm. they kind of are strangely yeah yeah Yeah, very much so so. (coughs) all right nice okay so um so from that what I got was everybody go out, <laughs> commit a few crimes. <laughs> and, and, yeah, yeah. Get good and give Maria some some uh, some inspiration. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some material, yeah. Seriously. Well the crime book that I wanna it's a crime series, crime fiction series, but I've been researching that for a while, just kinda waiting for the opportunity to have the time to actually sit down and frickin' write it. But one of the things that's been so great about that and one of the things I love about mm. being a fiction writer is what is one of the main skill sets you have as a journalist? It's doing research and mm. primary sources. And with Who's Afraid, you know, I interviewed full moon experts. I interviewed people from specific parts of Scotland. I interviewed people 
from universities in New Zealand who I needed to advise me on the cultural stuff. Because even though I'm Polynesian, there's aspects that you just want to like double check and make sure that things line up and stuff like that. Um, and that things work within the mythology. Because unlike a show like Clever Man, right, which is a Aboriginal superhero, that's a show where it's all set within the world of Aboriginal myths and legends. And Who's Afraid isn't set in the world of Māori myths and legends and Polynesian myths and legends. It's There are characters who are Polynesian and characters who are from different racial backgrounds, but it's set in the world of classic universal movie monsters. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you know this movie monster that you've seen shoved down your throat in pop culture for 100 plus years, who's usually a white guy? Well, here it is, a brown woman. And here it is being used at, to talk about her identity struggle and to talk about her background. So it's just giving somebody and the audience a shade and a background and a perspective of a very well-known type of character that they haven't necessarily seen before. So you have like a little more, I guess, license because it's a hundred years of werewolf mm, pop culture yeah. and werewolf movies and werewolf TV shows and comic books and stuff like that. But when it came to doing the research for the book, I was actually surprised how much primary research and primary sources that I was able to track down. And it's been one of the fun things going to work on the crime book is like I've been interviewing people from the FBI and interviewing people who worked with serial killers and interviewing people who helped fund and found the behavioral sciences unit and stuff like that and that is one of the funnest parts is kind of like before you have the book and before you put it together and mm. then before you have to like oftentimes in the editing process pull it apart and restructure it, mm. it is getting to do all that research and getting to be a sponge and just soak up all that yeah. information and do a lot of interviews, watch a lot of documentaries, mm. you know, read a lot of books and all that kind of stuff. That's sometimes the best bit. So mm. basically you're being that satin shoe and you're just... Literally. Bringing it all in. Bringing it all in. Because the book, the crime book set in America, so it's very different, obviously, from mm. my background with dealing with, like, Australian law enforcement and stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn. You have a big, steep learning curve. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Okay, nice, nice. All right, so next one. <laughs> okay, like I said, I've only known you for like what short space of time. Yeah, but I think it's we a year friendship bursary. But so it's a year friendship bursary. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. Like, <laughs> you can either go hither or nither, right? From yeah, now. yeah. <laughs> it's gonna go up or down, guys. Um, I'll let you know next podcast. Yeah. But then I, I follow you like, like a lot on there, and we we speak sometimes on like social media, mm. Instagram, and things like that. I love it. So yeah, you know, I love it too. Um, it's it, just, it's just. It's a portal into everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when we were talking before off mm. air about like, you know, honestly, I, if if I didn't have to have Twitter and probably Facebook for my job, I don't yeah. think I would have them because they can be a real unsafe space sometimes, mm. Mm. and they can be really hard. But Instagram, I found like just I can't get enough of it. Mm. It's yeah. a deep, deep dark hole for me. Yeah. I love Instagram. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. It Instagram, is. and I think the, the yeah. little sister of Instagram, or little brother of Instagram, would be Pinterest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Too. Um. But you're you're now you're I would consider you now you're in a on a certain level of celebrity status. <laughs> okay. That you so you don't see it. I see it, right? <laughs> I'm from the outside, right? <laughs> so now I, I like people, that. I'm in London and you're yeah. saying that. Yeah, like you know, like you know, like when I describe or when I when I tell people about you, I now talk talk with hands and be like, yes, yeah, so I've got this friend. <laughs> <laughs> She's an author, two books now. <laughs> like, so I mean. Now that you, well, I mean, you might not consider yourself in that way, but you know, you've got fans who mm. who know who you are. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, like, um, how have they reacted to the book? You know, what has touched you personally the most? 
with those people that now yeah. follow you for th- for this thing. You know? Well, we call we call it confamous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where you like you nobody knows who you are, no one gives a shit, <laughs> and then you go to a con or something or a pop mm. culture event because that's kind of my jam, and that's those the things that I'm probably at more than anything. Yeah. I'm at a lot of writers' fest- festivals, obviously, but writers' festivals is kind of a different scene and genre kids are kind of like the goths at the high school cafeteria mm, whereas mm. pop culture events it's all about genre stuff and so you go to a genre event and people get really excited and it's so it's one of the best things like being a writer is a really really hard job and you always get people sending you emails or asking you for advice or like i want to be a writer how do i do it and my question is always back to them is like do you really want to do this do you really want to do this because it is not glamorous you'll mm-hmm. be poor for a very mm. long time and currently um, <laughs> and yeah. it's a lot of work and it's a lot of heartbreak and a lot of rejections and a lot of no's and then it's some great stuff mm. and one of the great things is when you're writing these stories it's very lonely you are writing it by yourself you're constructing these characters in your head by yourself for a long time books take a long time to put together and you know, my publishers are in London and I live in Australia. So it's like, it's a few Skype chats and stuff like that and phone calls here and there. But for a lot of it, you're lonely and you're by yourself and it's a solo experience and you're Tom Hanks on the island screaming, Wilson! <laughs> but then the book comes out yeah. and you get to go to these pop culture events or writers' festivals and you get to meet people who are as excited about these made-up characters as you were when you first created them. Mm. And you're as people who are as keen to meet you because you can tell them this theory that they had about something or they want to ask you a very specific question about this character who did this thing on chapter like 10 at page 46 or whatever. Hmm. And they are so passionate and so excited and just you. Like the whole reason I started writing Who's Afraid was I was getting frustrated because I felt like a lot of the urban fantasy books I was reading, like I love authors like... um, I love Kerry Arthur, I love Rochelle Mead, I love Charlene Harris, mm-hmm. um, those are the, uh, Patricia Briggs and Bishop, those are the kind of urban fantasy authors I love to have grown up characters going on, on interesting adventures, interesting women. But it felt like all the urban fantasy I was reading at the time, all of the characters were getting younger and younger and wider and wider until every protagonist was a 15-year-old white girl who read, like, William Blake poetry and was, like, super mature for her age. <laughs> and, like, it was so unrealistic and not reflective of the experience for many 15-year-old people, um, including myself. I wouldn't have been able to read William Blake poetry at 15. I wouldn't have given a shit. Mm. I wouldn't have been able to save the world, let alone save myself. And mm. so I wrote Who's Afraid because it was the kind of book that I wanted to read that I wasn't seeing existing Mm. and after spending so long trying to get it out there and it being such a long process and you being worried that people mightn't like it and mightn't read it and then it gets to that point where people do care and one of the coolest things is when people send you fan art or when they make a thing Mm. like they'll have people make like little badges of the book covers and stuff or Mm. they'll make like little mini laminated posters of the characters and either send them to you on social media or bring them up to you at pop culture events and that is the coolest thing or in the second book who's afraid too there's um there's a scene where well actually tommy eats lemon meringue pie a few times and you can usually tell what food i'm into or like what food i'm craving because it gets worse in the book yeah i think like in who's afraid there's like some stir fry pops up at some point there's like Mm. a few things that obviously i was really into that day and right and lemon meringue pie is one of my favorite things in the world and so in who's afraid too there's a a scene where she's like eating lemon meringue pie like mm. there's like two scenes it's really like there's some characters who get less screen time than, yeah. than lemon meringue pie gets <laughs> in the second book 
But the great thing about the, I call them the wolf packers, the fans mm. of Who's Afraid and the world, is um, I've had people bake me lemon meringue pies from scratch and bring them to yeah. me at events and be like, here, I made this. Mm. And it's relevant to the book, but it's also great because I will eat the whole thing. <laughs> and it's so great. And there's like a joke, I think, um, there was a panel or something that I did. And I made a joke about Liam Hemsworth or something being like the superior Hemsworth of all the Hemsworths. And then someone brought me this donut, which is called the Liam Hemsworth donut. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So you just keep working food into the books and stuff like that. And the diehard fans will either make you a pie and bring it mm. or make you a donut and bring it. <laughs> so it's great. <coughs> that stuff is really, really, really cool. Um, mm. And one of the best things about it, because you mm. just don't know. Art's subjective. Mm. Like there's things that I thought I would like and that I've hated or whatever. And there's been lots of like, you know, this, I don't, it's just tricky. You just don't know whether people are going to like a thing or whether it will just disappear into the abyss. Yeah. Mm. And it's not mm. personal. It's just sometimes mm. people don't like what you're picking up or mm. what you're putting down. Mm. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that, that's always kind of the, um, I guess the risk you take as, oh. as an artist is, you know, you pour, your, your heart, heart and your soul, soul into it. something and you really you, you know yeah. you get passionate like, about your soul's shit. I heard it. <laughs> yeah and then you put it out there <laughs> yeah. and yeah someone on twitter goes oh i didn't like that yeah. no, 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 no. they're very dry you know and, and yeah. so on and it, it kind of rocks your confidence so it's yeah. it's it must be really rewarding to then see people kind of really responding yeah. to what you're doing in a mm. positive way and engaging with it as well because it shows um, you know, not only are they, as you said, reading it, but yeah. they're engaged with, with what you're doing. Yeah. Um, well, it's also like on a very like minute level, it's something that's like, I want it to be a universal story, yeah. a story that like people of all different, I always say the reading range, like I, I wouldn't advise people under 18 to read it. A lot of people <laughs> under 18 do read it because teenagers yeah. read up. That's how it works. Right. Mm. So that's mm. the kind of thing I did. I read yeah. it in the shining and stuff mm-hmm. when I was a lot younger. Um, and so there's a lot of young girl readers and a lot of young boy readers. Actually, the amount of male readers has not necessarily surprised me because, of course, men love reading interesting, complicated, interesting, sassy, you know, vibrant, cool, kick-ass women who have as many flaws as they do, you know, assets and stuff like that. But um, one of the things that has been super interesting about that kind of stuff is um, it's it's been really cool for me and my Polynesian friends, because Tommy is a biracial Polynesian woman. Mm. That is my background as well. And um, there's a bunch of friends who work with me on the book in terms of cultural consultants, and they always get little thank yous in the back of the book, and mm. they sign the back of the book, and they yeah. sort of <laughs> But it has been really cool for a lot of my Polynesian friends mm. to be like, hell yeah, we got one in there. <laughs> it's like an R-rated Moana. Like, yes, one of us. Something outside of the sphere of literature, I guess, because there's mm. a, a lot of amazing Polynesian literature. And Who's Afraid is a lot more, I guess, like mainstream and trashy than than that. So it, that's been really cool um, from that perspective. But it is also one of those things, like, you have to learn what works for you, for your mental health, right? right? So, like, certain things, like, when there's things going on in the world, you know, don't go on Twitter because it's going to be an absolute cesspool of hate or, mm. you know, whatever it is, bigotry or whatever the particular thing that's happening. And for me, for my mental health, I can't read reviews, positive mm. or negative or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of these things when the book first came out, there was, like, three reviews and they were all positive and there was one that just, like, had, like, one throwaway line about something. And I took it so personally 
and it wasn't even like a negative comment. It was something that was just like on the cast was like, oh, I love this, blah, blah, blah. But wasn't so into that. And I was like, oh, they weren't so into that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it was just one of those things like, okay, you can't read reviews, girl, because mm. the mm. positive ones, it's telling you things that you want to hear yeah. and you're not really taking as much from it. It's reinforcing mm. like, I'm so great. Rah, rah, rah. But then the negative ones I take too personally. So it's just at this space where it's just like for me to like keep on the level and keep focused and motivated and moving forward, I need to not read reviews. Hmm. And it's not that to say that you don't hear feedback because you do face to face. People will always tell you what they think, hmm. right? That's you pay money for a book or something. You feel like you have the right to come up and tell that person what you think and you do. And so you hear face to face. And so you get a really good gauge of feedback and things that are working or aren't working from people. But it's also like the process that the books go through before they end up on the shelf, at least for books like this, maybe not other books, but um, mm. the process is, is really intensive and you go through things a thousand times and you have like a huge editing pool of people and whatnot. So you get a lot of feedback, but um, you know, I have lots of friends who would like click refresh and stuff on mm. reviews on Goodreads. Like mm. they live for that yeah, shit. They want to read uh, everything <laughs> yeah. and yeah. they're fine. No yeah. They're totally fine. They're like invincible. And I'm like, Oh, power to you. I kind of, mm. I kind of wish that was me, but I, my thin skin, I guess, is not that thick. Mm, mm, yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to have, like, skin of steel to be able to yeah. to do that, because yeah. that, that would crush anybody. Oh, man. Anybody. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I read a couple of reviews that, that were put up, just because I like to see mm. the internet when I've got nothing to do. <laughs> and, I, and I just, and I think it was for the first book as well. Um, I remember, I, I literally, the same thing, I think I read one review that was kind of mm. kind of bad <laughs> and i got angry yeah. <laughs> but that's what it's i was like, like don't talk about oh a book like that <laughs> excuse me um that is not polite yeah. and we were at sunday lunch damn it and you were bring your best matters no but it's like you know when you, there's a movie or a comic yeah. book or something that you're like for instance um, I really love the Mummy movie that came out this year that has like 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it. I was ride or die for that movie. I had a great time. Mm. Uh, it might be because I'm like, I'm super into monsters, especially universal movie monsters. Like I got Frankenstein tattoos and the whole thing. But I adored that movie. I had so much fun. And I was getting like really hurt when majority of the world, let's say 98% of the world was like, this is a dumpster fire. Like this is absolute trash. And I loved it so much. And I was like, oh, I'm super hurt. Imagine if you wrote that mm. movie or mm, you directed mm, that mm. movie, you starred in that movie. And, you know, they have a lot more at stake than I do over a stupid book series. They've mm. got like 120 million yeah, at stake yeah. in a <laughs> proposed dark universe franchise. You know? And I'm just over here like, these werewolves went here, like that now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. That's fair enough. By the way, I couldn't stand that that mummy movie. I thought it was see, terrible. See, there I hated you go. It. See, I, I, I hated it. to see it, but I, I'm a cruise fan. Like, <laughs> some cruise can do no wrong for me. Dude, right? I interviewed him, and I saw, I saw. Yeah, mm. it's true. Okay, how tall is he? Was he wearing lifts? He's very short. He's very short. He's, he's short. short. He always wears lifts. Um, I will, I will possess. Yeah, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's probably about the same size as you, but yeah. there's a reason Tom Cruise has been a movie star for 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like when he talks mm. to you, it's like, hey, yeah, how yeah, are you? It's yeah, great mm, to see yeah, you. Yeah. Like, thanks so much. He's looking dead on at you, direct eye contact. You forget mm. that he's like in a religion that's all about a guy that comes down from mm. space and it's like, yeah. Zeno rules, come up to my spaceship <laughs> and stuff. Like, you forget everything. He's so good at just mm. like totally connecting with you mm. and it was so interesting because i was wearing a dress um when i did the interview that had all a bunch of different monster mm. movies mm. and stuff like that and that actually 
there was um Russell Crowe was there as well. Yeah. And they said, oh, do you want to interview Russell Crowe? And I was like, no, thank you. Because like, <laughs> ru- I love Russell Crowe's work, but yeah. he is notorious for being very difficult yeah. and temperamental yeah. and can just be like rough around the edges and just rough. And I'm at that point where it's like, I don't need to interview people who are going to be assholes. Yeah. And if I'm not sure if an interview is going to work out or I'm not going to get anything from it, I don't want to speak to guys going to be rude or like, you know, a bit of a pig or whatever. So I was like, no, yeah. thank you. I'm fine with Russell Crowe. But he had a son there. And his son was like way into my dress and was like, oh, that dress is so cool. Dad, dad, dad. And so mm. Russell Crowe came over and we ended up doing an interview and he was great. But I think I got over the line because his son was like, her outfit's cool. Mm, yeah. But Tom Cruise saw the dress and was like, oh my God, like that's so awesome. Because yeah, obviously yeah. it's a monster movie. So I'd worn that dress specifically for it. And mm. he was like so excited that someone gave a shit enough. Mm. And then he like, thanks so much, man, at the end of the view and throws up a handshake. And it was like, not like a high five. It was full on, like, okay, I'm going to borrow your accent, yeah. like, boom, boom, slick, yeah. fist bump, boom. It was, so, so there was a motion in there. Mm. It was a motion. <laughs> it was invested. Yes. It was that was a moment. Five to six moves. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, because you don't know, some, someone holds up a high five, you don't know yeah. what it's going to be. Mm. Yeah. You don't know where this is going to go, mm. right? It could like, go either way. It could yeah. go either way. It could be <laughs> yeah. a standard high five. It could be like a little click down the side. You don't know. And I was just like, on sheer adrenaline, it was like, yeah. Like hitting all the moves, <laughs> and then when he left, the journalist next to turned and be like, "That was sick." <laughs> <laughs> and it was just one of those things, which is like, I, you know, the handshake can go wrong. I could have yeah. slipped halfway through or whatever. But he is a high-functioning sociopath for yeah. sure. Like yeah. he just mm. works you. It was it was great. And I went back and listened to the interview that we did, and I was like, man, I don't think I. He spoke nonstop for like you know the fifteen-minute stretch. Yeah. And I, he didn't really say anything. Mm, like, mm, he said mm, heaps, yeah, but he didn't yeah, yeah. say anything. Mm, I was like, wow, oh, I asked all these questions, mm. but I didn't really get an answer. And I, at the time, I was like, boy, if I got gold, yeah. oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to blow this thing wide open, yo. Mm, but, mm. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's very good. He's mm. really good. Mm. Mm. It's fascinating, because that, 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 um, that shows you kind of, as you were saying, how good he is at playing the Hollywood game. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. the fact that you were able to get 15 minutes out of it, right. and then when you played it back again, were like, he didn't really actually answer any questions, no. yeah, yeah. but and he still kept you engaged like for 15 he, minutes. He showed up an he hour doing. and a half before he had to be there, yeah. so he could sign autographs and get selfies for everybody that mm. had come. Everyone on the street. It was like on a main Sydney street. It was a huge big premiere. They had like fake flames and shit. Like it's a full on thing. Australia, we have a lot of bushfires. So if you have like flake, fake flames at your premiere, you know they're like really going in. They've got to get, you know, approval from here or there or whatever. Mm. But like he, he, someone who shows and makes sure that people feel special mm. and make sure, you know, it's like, I give a shit about this. I've been doing this for 30 years and I give a shit. But it's also funny because I was watching an interview that he did with, um, my friend Mark Fennell, who is the host of The Feed, and he's kind of like one of Australia's premier film interviewers and pop culture interviewers, I can say. And Mark is like a profesh, you know? He's the standard to that a lot of people aspire yeah. to. And so he did this television interview with Tom Cruise um, while he was out in the country, and it just went up recently. I was watching it back, and it gets to the end of the interview, and I'm like, I think he only got to ask him like three or four questions. Mm. And at the same time... Tom Cruise has somehow worked in like 15 titles of movies he's done throughout. And he's asking him about one movie, but he's like, he's worked in all these titles and he's reminding you of he did this Mm. work and that Mm. work and he did this thing and he like rewrote the script for this. Mm. And he's just like, 
he's a fucking master yeah. at being able to like he worked in all these titles and like Mark maybe got three or four interview like interview questions in there and Mark is like as good as it gets. Yeah. yeah. And so it's so interesting watching that interview because he's just like he just oh, it's a masterclass, man. It's yeah. crazy. It's yeah. so interesting to watch and just the information like he he curates what he's telling you and the way he's telling it to you. It's mm. really fascinating. Mm. Hardest working man in Hollywood. Yeah, me. I mean, you saw that video of him doing his own stunts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. MI6 yeah. in London and hitting the wall and yeah. shit. And like American Made, the movie that he's doing where he oh, plays. Yeah, yeah he, he's a pilot. So every scene you see with mm. him in a plane, it's him flying the plane. Mm. Like he's a guy who just can't like sit back and do it. He's got to do it. Mm. Mm. I think Tom Cruise could be Batman. But you know, that's the that's the other big secret about Hollywood leading men and it's really only changed in the last like two to three years when you have like mm. all these Australian dudes coming through who are like twelve foot. Mm. <laughs> but like, Jesus. you know, give me a Hemsworth over there and yeah, you got yeah. like even Tom Hiddleston, like he's a tall dude, he's like mm. six three. Yeah, he's like six three. Yeah, yeah. he's like lean, mm. limber, like he's a very slender man esque. Mm. But um that's the thing is like a lot of people have this perception that all actresses are tiny and it's like no 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 actually it's the leading men are small mm. and so they hire smaller actresses so that they look the men look like taller and bigger than they are and that's why you always get these things like oh they're so much smaller in person mm. it's like yeah yeah they had to hire tiny little thin little bird actresses and stuff <laughs> because the guys weren't so big back then mm. Mm. yeah that's true that's true. Yeah, like the Steve McQueens, Bruce Lee's, mm. Lee Marvin. Yeah. All, all yeah. short guys. Short guys. Short mm. guys. Danny Junior's five nine. I'm a short guy, so I've got to check yeah. I've got to check on the barometer Dude. first. Yeah, I can't be a Hollywood yeah. star. Yeah, exactly. It's not too late. Yeah. But yeah, now it's now it's definitely changing. You have a lot of those mm. like even like Jason Momoa, you know, he's mm. freaking huge. Yeah, he's, he's a beast. The yeah. rock yeah. as well. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, is a Polynesian infiltration of Hollywood really mm. goes deep. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great. Okay. Uh, where are we at? Yeah. Completely lost where we are. Yeah, sorry. I got all distracted talking about this. That's all right. Screen. No problem, no problem. Um, so how was the interview about your books, Maria? I was great. I talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, he's short. <laughs> yeah. Great hair, though. Yeah. Okay, let's finish off that question. So um, have you been to any, let's say, con for your book, and, uh, and you've had that one person who's just come and just touched you with, like, a story or, let's say, like, a cosplay or something like that? I tell you what, seeing people in the cosplay of your characters yeah. is un-freaking believable. I think the first time I ever saw it, I cried. Mm. And then somebody came up as a werewolf victim, which is like not a script, yeah, but yeah. like had like the full on latex going off their arm yeah, and like yeah, the yeah. blood splatters and everything. And it's unbelievable to me still that somebody would give a shit enough that they go to all the effort of like dressing up in mm. character mm. and like, you know, getting the wig and getting the outfit sorted and coming along. But the fan art is also like a really big one because it's something that takes a lot of time. And mm. there's this one chick who's done like, um, she did like a cartoon version of the first book cover and gave it to me at a, an event in Brisbane in um, Queensland in Australia. And then it was like a year later and she was at the next event and came up and gave me the cartoon version of the second book cover. Okay. And like, I keep, everything everything people send me or any of that kind of stuff i keep it all and i have it all like blue tacked above my desk yeah because it means so much to me and it's also like sometimes if you're having a really rough day and you're like oh why do i do this or like 
God, it's just like being an author is crap. Or like, man, this is such an apple battle. Why don't I just choose mm. to become a postman? Or so you know, something seemingly simple. Nothing's really simple. That's the trick to life. Yeah. Um, but then you look up and you see those little posters or those little things that people have drawn, um, that remind you of stuff and remind you of things. And it's just, it's really cute. And it's also something that's been fascinating to me, because the book is published worldwide. You know, it comes out in America. Both of them come out in America this year. The audience in the UK for them has been insane. There's this town in Scotland called Wigtown, mm. which is Scotland's national book town. And um, I had crossed paths of it when I was living in Scotland researching the first book. And I went and stayed there because I was like, well, Wigtown, like expecting to be a town full of wigs. Mm. Um, <laughs> a town full of books, which was like pretty great anyway. Mm. But I ended up becoming friends with um, these people who run a bed and breakfast there. Steph and Carl, shout out, Glazenup Guest House. And so when it gets to the second book, I have a sex scene that's set at their bed and breakfast and <laughs> it's pretty amazing because the whole town is like so proud yeah that two characters shag <laughs> in a place that exists in a town that exists like i am like the second coming to them yeah. i get letters and messages yeah, they are so stoked they're like thank you so much for letting them boink in our town at our hotel yeah. and it's just something like that it's just oh it's just so cool and weird and amazing and you're just like wow i'm so glad i didn't give up at the first no or mm. at the second no or at the a thousandth no and that you kept going because these things they do find their level mm. they do find their audience and their people and their crowd and generally the audience for who's afraid is pop culture lovers and people mm. who love genre stuff mm. people who love monster books but people who also like i wrote a book that i would want to read and i wanted to have romance and action and adventure and horror and comedy and all those different aspects to it so it does become a bit of a melting pot in terms of a lot of different elements which is why you get people sending you messages being like i don't usually read books like that but i liked this because of you know xyz mm. Mm. which is nice like my mum, she wouldn't read these kind of books mm. but then again she's biased so you can't really believe what she says you know <laughs> she's got an agenda to all this True. <laughs> yeah. okay all right uh what was the driving force behind behind f year film and feminism oh so um in case you don't know what f year film and feminism is it's a podcast i've done for almost three years now and Originally, FIA Film and Feminism was started with my friend Karis, Karis Bazaka, and she was a film critic for AP, and I was a film writer for, oh, I think I was working for the Daily Telegraph at the time, which is like Australia's biggest newspaper, and we first started cross, crossing paths when we both moved to the biggest, so they're like the big city, I guess, in Australia, Sydney, which is, I guess, kind of Australia's London. Melbourne thinks it's Australia's London. Look, it's an ongoing war. They both want to be London. I'm like, just be yourself, guys. But we started crossing paths at um, screenings and, like, premieres and stuff like that and started chatting. And we would oftentimes be the only two women there. Mm. Um, that is one of the big issues, I guess, with a lot of film criticism as well is that there aren't that many ladies in it. Um, and there aren't that many people of colour in it. And so you get criticisms or films evaluated by people sometimes who mightn't have any deeper effect to it. Mm. You know, it mightn't be for them, mm. I guess you could say. You know, they get saying, it's not for you. Yeah, and yeah. people say that about things like Atlanta or, yeah. you know, even yeah. Luke Cage or something. Yeah, like, it's yeah. not for you. Okay? <laughs> you, know? you can like it. That's cool. But it's not for you. Yeah. Um, and so we would talk about films that we'd see or reactions that we'd see. We kept getting frustrated about different stuff. Um, and so we basically started the podcast as a way to talk about that. It's a very industry sort of podcast. Like we tend to 
review one or two movies mm. or TV shows, and then we talk about a lot of industry stuff and a lot of like strategy and different things that we notice going on. And then I usually do an interview with someone. Um, Tom Cruise was on the last podcast, weirdly, um, <laughs> for a podcast about feminism. Um, Sophia Batella was as well, who's the amazing actress who plays the mummy in the film, but she also was in Kingsman Secret Service. Yeah. She's the chick with the scissor legs, um, and she's in Atomic Blonde, and she's just brilliant. But generally the interview will be with um, somebody who has some, you know, relevance to the areas of film and or feminism. And then we pick a feminist of the episode, which can be someone living or dead, but it's just someone that you want to have a shout out mm. to, or, you know, give a bit of a signal boost to. And um, Karis ended up having to leave the podcast after about a year of doing it because she went and ended up working for Australia's national film body, oh. which was awesome. Um, but also at the same time, you can't have someone from the national film body like coming on and talking smack. Yeah. And that's the end of the for, <laughs> yeah, you know, an hour, an hour and a half a month. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. what I've done um, in keeping the podcast going after she's left, like she pops on as a guest every now and again and will suggest people to me and helps work on the podcast behind the scenes, which is awesome. But um, I'll have a different female co-host every episode mm. and so it's been really great because it's an awesome way to kind of do two interviews but also it doesn't have to be someone who's a director or an actress or someone for inverted commas famous it can be someone who comes from just a really interesting unique place mm. and can talk about the films that are unique to them or things that are interesting or relevant relevant to them mm. and so that's been a really fun way in terms of like getting queer women on and getting women of color on and getting people who have different perspectives on film and have different specific interests. Like I'm a big horror person. I love horror movies. That'd be my favorite genre, but I also love superhero shit. Mm. So it's great to get someone who's like really passionate about rom-coms mm. was like really into talking about the different like sexual relations and sexual politics of rom-coms and stuff like that, which isn't necessarily my ex area of expertise. Mm. So yeah, it's just basically been a really good format to ranting about film specific stuff, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, which is great. Okay, thank you for that. Okay, uh, well, obviously, like writing seems to be like a major part of your life. Mm. Seems like you've been writing since the day you probably popped out. <laughs> um, writing a lot of trash. <laughs> good trash. Good, good trash. trash. Yeah. Good trash. Uh, when you decided that this is this is what you you wanted to do. And like you know, you, you know, gonna gonna go for it. What were the writers that inspired you? Um, it was kind of like Matilda is probably like the first book that I really fell in love with. Like mm. I'm a massive fan of Roald Dahl, but it was a lot of comic book writers to be honest, because yeah. comics has always kind of been about three to four years ahead of other mediums mm. in terms of inclusivity. Yeah. Like they had some amazing, strong, interesting, complex, tough muscly physically muscly mm. female characters and stuff like that before you ever start to see them on tv yeah you know they had um characters like you know like storm who wasn't called like black storm like black lightning's a great character cool yeah. but storm was like sort of one of the first characters to push through where it wasn't like precursor of like black at the front of their names it was yeah. just storm yeah she yeah. was a goddess and like x-men's an allegory for race and yeah. then like yeah. birds of prey was a huge thing for me because it was mm. like this team of women who weren't all necessarily heroes. Huntress is one of my favorite characters. Mm. She came from a background of being a villain who team up together because they are having a united cause, but they mightn't all necessarily like each other or get on. Mm. So comic books was like a really great place in terms of inspiration and interesting stories. And like Gail Simone from that field mm. was a huge influence for me. And like Kelly Sue DeConnick and Stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's the best. I'm a Kelly. Fan. I'm a Kelly fanboy. Oh, so you ride like, or die. Yeah, yeah I'm riding all the way. <laughs> <laughs> riding all but the way. But yeah, like those those women, like Charlene Harris and 
um, Rochelle Mead was a big one, like the books that I just would love to read and enjoy to read. And Witi Imahira, who is the writer of Whale Rider and Mahana and a lot of amazing like Polynesian literature as well. But then people, even like Taika Waititi, who is a writer of his own films and stuff like mm. that as well. But Joanne Clement, who worked on, um, who's, you know, one half of Flight of the Concords mm. and stuff like that. But a lot of people all across the spectrum of writing, like writing isn't necessarily just books. It can be movies, it can yeah, be comic yeah. books, it can be hip hop, it can be graphic novels, it can be film. Those are the kind of the people that inspired me. Roxane Gay is an amazing writer. She's also a really great commentator on pop culture stuff. Obviously, she gets a lot of like praise and acknowledgement as a very serious feminist and a really serious writer of race and talking about race in America and race all around the world. But her and Tenehasi Coates, who I guess is probably like the forefront leading mm. talker about civil rights in the modern modern age and super well known, they both did an amazing work on Black Panther. Mm. She did World of Wakanda and he did like the main Black Panther run, which I think both have just ended up finished up at the yeah. moment. But it's, like, amazing to me that you would have, like, your Malcolm X or your Martin Luther King mm. involved in the pop culture sphere yeah. as well. Like, could you fucking imagine? Mm. Like, back then, imagine mm. if, like, Martin Luther King's like, yeah, you know what? Like, I'm going to take a break from, you know, Selma for a bit. And I'm just going to, like, write this run <laughs> on, you know, Captain America for a while. Or I'm just going to take over Iron Man for a bit. And, like, it's it's super cool. That's, that's the like, the same sort of... Uh, comparison to me is like those that's how important they are yeah yeah and there's such an acknowledgement of how important pop culture is mm. and how mm. important it is for like there's gonna think how cool it is that there's gonna be a whole generation like your son yeah. is gonna get to grow up with like not one black superhero like a dozen yeah a dozen and then black villains yeah and then like there's gonna be a whole generation of young gay kids mm. they get to grow up with like gay superheroes mm. and gay villains as well because it's important to have them as the heroes but also the villains yeah, yeah, mm. you know yeah. what i mean like if you get to have yeah. if you get to see like representation across the spectrum supporting yeah. characters villains heroes the whole thing like that's super awesome it's mm. gonna be so exciting and i it makes me really excited about like that next gen of when those kids are our age of like what's the world going to be like then hopefully less nazis that's what I'm hoping for. Hopefully. 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 hopefully I, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that in 2017. I'd be like, damn, these Nazis, but... Yeah, well... You've got some crazy you'll take about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nazi killer. Yeah. He was in that movie for ba- Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he already was, did that. He's yeah. like, I've killed enough Nazis. Yeah, I've done that, and I died for it, you know? <laughs> Where's Brad Pitt when you need him? Mm. Glorious bastard style. <laughs> Eli Roth. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um... Rich, shall we just roll through a couple of these real quick? Because obviously yeah. we've um, prodded and poked you <laughs> enough, Maria. You've you've been talking for yeah. quite a while now. Thank you very much. Yeah, for I'm that. sorry. I'm a real. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not I a problem. Just wear that. No, just aware that obviously we, you know, it's it's a long kind of process. So let's kind of quickly run through some of these. I mean, some of these you've already covered mm, anyway yeah. With, yeah. with your answers, so I think we're all right. But, um, oh, let's go with, with this one here, actually. This should be fun. Give, give you a bit of fun. Um, <laughs> who you. would win in a fight? Yes. Uh, oh, I love it. Tommy Grayson oh. or Buffy Summers? <laughs> oh, oh that's, a, oh, that's a tough one, actually. Okay, I say it's a tough one because Buffy, I'm a massive Buffy fan. I have a Buffy tattoo. Um... Buffy is trained to defeat all manner of supernatural creatures, mm. right? And she also technically has superpowers. Yeah. She's, like, super strong, has super speed, all that kind of stuff. And one of those, many of those creatures that Tommy ha- um, that 
Buffy has killed. Mm-hmm. Or she doesn't really kill werewolves very often, she actually. Them. She captures them. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so she would be, she'd be well-versed in being mm. able to take on Tommy. I don't know. That's a really tough one. I don't know who would win that fight. I'd almost say Buffy, you know? Because she's also had a lot more experience. Um, Tommy becomes a werewolf around the age of 22. Mm. And Buffy has been a vampire slayer since 15. Yeah. So, you know... I'd, I'd say Buffy, actually. Not like you would love to say, oh, yeah, my character's a shirt. Mm. They'll be whoever. But, yeah, I think I think Buffy would probably have this experience and the skill base to be able to take her on. Cool. cool. Oh, do you think Fair you enough. win, mate? Buffy? I, I accept your... You your accept answer. that? Yeah. I, I would go the, the other way. Oh, really? You'd go yeah. Tommy? Yeah, okay. the, the only reason is because yeah. I, I'm a big Buffy and Angel fan as well. Yeah, me too. And I think... Not say that all the time that, you know, when you're in a group, that you, there's like a their hindrance but i always yeah. thought as, as much as i love the scooby gang yeah you know, i always thought that that's the one way you'd be able to get to buffy yeah yeah like i look at the scooby gang and th- this is where like um let's say things of uh experience comes in mm. so we watch films or tv programs say like a uh, supernatural and things like that and those winchester brothers they're cool but if they live down in our ends we would have been sorting stuff out from early <laughs> right <laughs> so i look at i would i probably would have handled buffy like as easily as the boys from Attack the Block. Oh my god. Yeah. It's raining golems <laughs> <laughs> oh, My favorite. Literally in my top ten movies. That, that's just the best line ever. Yeah. So good. Play FIFA. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, so so I I'll I'll give it to Tommy just because I think Buffy, she's as good as she is. Yeah, I don't know. I think she's got too many things just just holding her back. It's also that's interesting you say that because it's also like one of the things that makes Buffy strong is her friendship mm. group. Like mm-hmm. Buffy's more, uh, I guess, heart over head. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So Tommy is Tommy's pretty smart, so he, she might have her up on that. And especially mm. if it's like Buffy alone, as opposed to the added yeah. assets of having her team around. Mm. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't know, but mm. I like that you said Tommy. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting as well. You're 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 thinking because I think what I've always um as like a kind of pop culture fan the kind of um richard's kind of the opposite to me in the sense that richard has always kind of like hugely identified with heroes yeah um whereas with me i kind of hugely identify with a good villain i love a good villain oh my god Um, and i love love heroes but i love a good villain because (laughs) i always feel like your hero can only ever be as good as your villain yes if your villain is strong then it makes the hero look better and you know Um, villains think they're heroes and they're first mm, yeah exactly every good villain should believe they're the hero of their story yes um I love a good villain too. And that's why I think it's so important to not only just like, if you're looking for like, I want to have more black heroes or I want to have more gay heroes or whatever. It's really important to have the villains as well. Yeah. To make sure there's representation in those villains. Yeah. Because it shows you that it shows the kids or like shows whoever's watching it that you don't just have to be one way, that you can be complex. You can Mm. be shades of gray, Mm. you know, it's like in the first book, Everything in the first Who's Afraid book, everything's through the prism of Tommy Grayson's experiences. Mm. So she meets this family, the family that she's descended from, who she gets a werewolf powers from, the EP pack. And she kind of thinks that they're villains to her because they tell her, hey, you're a werewolf, and also we're going to chain you up because it's going to be your first transformation. It's going to be shit. And she kind of like thinks of them as these horrible people who have done this thing to her, have locked her up where mm. she's going through this werewolf situation and one of them is particularly really bad obviously no spoilers but you know you know who i'm talking yeah, about yeah. Stephen here am i right <laughs> but in the second book and towards the end of the first book she has more of an understanding of where they're coming from they're not villains they are a shade of gray to her because they have grown up knowing that they're werewolves 
and knowing the pain and what a curse it is because it is a curse in this world you do get some great powers from it but you suffer a lot and you have a lack of control and you can hurt the people around you and so she has this new perspective on them chaining her up to go through her first transformation she has a new perspective on them telling her that she's a monster because now she's lived through it and now she has the reference knowledge that hey actually this isn't this isn't something where it's like people are good or bad. People are in a shit situation mm. and you're trying to make the most of it. And it's not necessarily villains and heroes. It's just a lot of in-between. Yeah. A lot of ambiguity. Love that. Love that. I mean, one of the um, things that I came across, because you mentioned about sort of diversity mm. of, of villains as well yeah. as heroes. And um, <clears throat> one of the, I don't know if you've heard this, Rich, but one mm. of the, the big rumours about... Uh, Jessica Jones, which is mm. my favourite TV show ever. <laughs> I love Jessica Jones. Like, I really love it. I, I loved it from the moment, you know, Brian Michael Bendis wrote yeah. her in Alias and all oh, of that. I loved it's it. such a good adaptation. It, uh, yeah, and the TV show just did an unbelievable job of yeah. adapting that. I mean, I, as I said, I'd already loved the book yeah. and was passionate about the book, yeah. but the way they've kind of expanded upon that... Yeah. Um, uh, upon the idea of her, you know, um, her being a victim of... Yeah of the abuse that she suffered yeah. and how she's kind of dealt with with that um, yeah. was just fascinating but one of the things they've been talking about for season two is that they might introduce a, a character called typhoid mary mm, you've probably heard of. Such a good character. and i'm like if they do that that yeah. is gonna be just off the chain so i'm like yeah i really want to see this yes. now because typhoid mary is just as complex a character as, as jessica is so yeah marvel has some great Actually, all comics, not all comic books, but, like, a lot of the villains are all really interesting. Mm. Like, Riddler is one of my favourite villains. And, like, even Gambit. Mm. Gambit had a whole run where he was a bad guy for a long, a long time. Mm. Like, mm. there's so he many, was, yeah. no, it's very rare that the villains mm. are as bad for the sake of being bad. There's yeah. always, like, some yeah. tragic backstory or... Hmm. I find Mary would be sick though. I hadn't heard that. That's really yeah. Hard. Hold yeah, on. She, so. Oh, sorry, I missed it because my voice is going to No, but we were just saying the rumor was that um, for Jessica Jones season two, that the yeah. main villain is going to be Typhoid Mary mm. or, or one of. They have to do that. So, yeah. um, so I was just okay. saying, you know, in terms of like uh, Maria's point about having mm. diverse. Yeah. Um, villains and and making your villains as as mm. interesting as mm. the main character. Yeah. You know, Typhoid Mary is like is going to be just as complex and just as, um, you know, just as as as, as compelling a character yeah. As, yeah. as Jessica Jones is. So, it's um, you know, we're we're in an age now where it's like we, we can actually have heroes yeah. and villains yes. that are a kind of you yes. know a, a bit mad. I mean, get representation across the scale. Yeah, yeah. Look, well, I like the fact that if they do make her a villain, they're still going to be sticking within that theme of like you know mental health and like yes. a, yeah, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah, still yeah, fits yeah, that'd be, that'd different be, ways people yeah. deal with trauma. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that'd be really good. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And just before we go into the last question, with <laughs> because because <laughs> I love villains, villains is my favorite yeah, topic. Um, it always kind of um, triggers in me the, the memories of Hannibal. I don't know if mm. you ever watched the TV show Hannibal. Sir, um, I have a silence I of was, the lambs tattoo. This was, is how much I am into this <laughs> universe. I was heartbroken when they cancelled that show. Absolutely heartbroken because um, you know a lot of people were. Or, or some people I knew who watched it were like, oh, well, it's a bit poncy and it's a bit arty farty, and you know, there's lots of mm. sort of abstract cutaways and mm. things like that. I love all that shit. I love it. Too. <laughs> I love it. I I'm love like, it. give me more of that. Give me slow motion blood dripping onto white screens and all of that. Yeah, yeah, like, give me all of that. But um, one of the things I liked about it was there was the um, serial killer, uh, Toby, I think his name yes. was, the, the, the dude who. Um, 
the cellist, I think he was, yeah. who was uh, making, you know, the strings, the strings out of people's guts yeah. and stuff. And um, he was a black character. And yes. I was like, oh, like this guy's yeah. like, but what I loved about it was that he was, um, as I said, just an incredibly context character. And mm. even though his arc didn't particularly go that far yeah. within the series, yeah. they still did a good job of kind of explaining how someone like that ends up like that you know well and also the thing that was great about the Hannibal TV series is like Jack Crawford is a black guy mm, in mm, the show and mm. like Beverly Wong who in the books is a guy it's yeah. a guy and yeah, it's got to a be dude. a woman yeah. mm. and like it, there's just like a lot of stuff like that in the show mm. where they just they flipped gender or they flipped race and it's like it's not about the colour of this person or the gender of this person, it's about whether this person is the character and whether this mm. person fits mm. the character. And like Freddie Lowndes, who's always Yeah, who's always been a man. Yeah, yeah in the book series where Thomas mm. Harris was a woman and she was like this really brassy, sassy redhead and she mm. was just like infuriating but also amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah. And there were so many characters like that in that show that was just, oh my God, Lawrence Fishburne as um, Jack Crawford mm. was mm. casting that I would never have Thought, thought of no Morpheus as Jack Crawford are you kidding me I don't mm. know guys but I, it's just like <laughs> I can't I go back and now and watch the movies and it's like I just I can't I'm just like oh god yeah it's like yeah but there's so many things like you go yeah. back and watch it and you're just like oh that person's yeah. so perfect I heard a rumor that they're doing and that's in talks to do another Hannibal series now oh because the big issue nice. was um they didn't have the rights for Clarice Starling, and so the Hannibal TV series oh. obviously starts. Oh, I guess that's sense. why they yeah, kind of yeah, yeah that's why they Red went Dragon, yeah, right? Yeah, that's so why they Red Dragon the is my favorite of the books. Yeah, so it yeah. starts in the events before Red Dragon, which hmm. is actually really clever, right? Hmm. So that's why you can have a younger Hannibal, and that's hmm. why you can have Will Graham out doing stuff and the things yeah. that eventually lead to him having a mental breakdown and stuff. Yeah. So they did Red Dragon, and then they moved on. Oh, so they did before Red Dragon, then they did Red Dragon hmm. slash the events of Hannibal. Mm. And they'd skipped the silence of the land. Yeah, so it was building yeah. up to that point where if you don't get the rights mm. to Clarice Starling, you can't continue that story any mm. further, mm. which is mm. why you have him on the run and stuff yeah. like that earlier in the narrative than you do traditionally. But I had a rumor that they're looking at whether, because I guess in the day and age we have streaming services, it's like mm. Gilmore Girls can come back. Yeah, X-Files yeah. can yeah, come back. Yeah. There's all these shows yeah. like Veronica years. Mars. Oh my God, you get a movie. Yeah, you know, I put $500 right. towards that and I do not regret it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you have all these shows where like just because the lifeline of them has stopped existing, there's like they do come back and they do like little limited series runs mm. and stuff like that, which is really exciting. So I hope they do that. I hope they do that. It would be really great if we got, you know, another season mm. of Hannibal. Mm. Another few episodes. Absolutely. Give me an event. Like a Sherlock or something where it's Daddy, like two hours look. or something. Let's do it again. Mm. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, yeah, I'd definitely be down with some of that. Uh, okay, let me see where we're at, where we're at, where we're at, where we're at, where we're at. Oh, this is an interesting one, I suppose. I mean, you kind of touched on this earlier, yeah. but um, I guess throwing it out there. Yeah. In a fantasy land with yeah. any budget you could have. Yeah. Who would you cast for the Who's Afraid TV series? Oh, well, my number one choice for Tommy Grayson, and I just keep saying it all the time because I 
think if I just say it repeatedly, it will happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, positive, um, yes. positive thinking, yes. right? Yes, put it out into the universe. Affirmations, put right. it out there. My number one choice for Tommy Grayson is Kish, Kish Castle Hughes. Ah, from uh, the Well Riders yes, movie exactly. adaptation. Yes, exactly, yeah. Casually nominated for an Oscar when she was 12 mm. years old. No yeah. big deal, guys, whatever. Yeah, exactly. But she's also is. gone on to do um, Game of Thrones. She's mm. one of the Sand Sisters in that show and she was also in uh, the Cameron Crowe series Brodies which unfortunately was cancelled after one season but is actually a really really great show and if you enjoy Cameron Crowe stuff highly recommend going and checking that out but mm. she's around the perfect age for Tommy but and she's most importantly she's a Māori actress and I want someone of the same race as the character to be playing it that's kind of the whole fucking point mm-hmm. um, but she's also one of those incredible actresses who has such skill where she can portray a real, like, emotional vulnerability at the same time as physical strength. And it's something that you saw her do as a kid in Whale Rider. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you see those kid actors and they always stand out to you because they, like, Millie Bobby Brown, you know, from Mm. Stranger Things, or even Drew Barrymore, like, pre-heroine, you know, you see (laughs) see them do that and you're like, Mm. wow, they're incredible, they have something. Mm. And to watch them develop into an adult actor is such a gift. And she has become such a formidable actress that I just, I honestly would struggle to find somebody else that would fit the role of Tommy Grayson Mm. more perfectly than, than Keisha Castle Hughes. I think she's so talented. Um, But there's, I mean, I have a list on my phone of actors that I just would love to throw Mm. into different roles and different parts. It all kind of depends to be honest on a, whether people like it, Mm. you know, if Mm. if the actor that you want to do, it likes it. If you, depending on the budget that you have, if you can afford them, if they're available, there's so many like things that have to line up to get people and stuff. Mm, sure. Their audition's good if they like really connect, all that yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, I always know who my Tommy Grayson would be, and the other characters are a little bit tougher. You have, a, I think, I have a little bit more wiggle room with the other characters. Mm. Um, but Tommy is, yeah, Tommy's a tough one. Cool, yeah. fair enough. A tough one because she's the centerpiece, you know. If you don't get a good one, yeah. If you don't get that right, then yeah, right. Yeah, you get Iron Fist. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Topical. Shots fired. Yeah. Um. All right, we'll do two more. Uh, yeah. So, sorry, moment. Get that one. I will save one to the end. Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah, yeah. But this one I think could be fun. Um, if there is uh, any book that you could rewrite mm. yourself, rewrite. which would you choose? Um, Hannibal, actually. Because mm-hmm. I love that book up until the final third. Mm. Is it spoilers for something that came out in like 1999? No, 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 no if no, no, they no, haven't no. seen Hannibal by now, you're wasting yeah. your right. time. Right, so, so look, <laughs> the movie course corrected what happens in the book. But mm. essentially what happens is like, Corey Sterling get hit like Hannibal comes and he saves her, um, and then he mind rapes her essentially into mm. falling in love with him mm. through like a, a cocktail of different drugs and psychological treatments. He essentially mind roofies her until they you know go off and have a happily ever after. I know that's like what a lot of fans like they, that was kind of the thing is like they always had this chemistry, yeah. and so fans were always like really hot for it. But it was just something at the time that I read it. I was so angry. And a lot of people were angry about that ending, which is why they changed it for the movie. Um, and it's one of the reasons Jonathan Demme, who directed Silence of the Lambs, mm. didn't go on to directing the Hannibal movie and the same reason Jodie Foster didn't go and do the movie because they were so mad at the end of that book. Mm. Um, but it was some, one of the things that was really frustrating for me because I love the ca- character of Corey Starling. And it was something 
completely opposite to what she would do. Mm. It was something that you'd been, you'd learnt all these behaviours and who she was as a person. And then they had this thing, and like, oh, and they're together now. Dun, 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 dun. And you're like, that's <laughs> not, no, that is yeah. not how that would work. It was really frustrating to me. And Adelia Mapp was always one of my favourite characters in the Hannibal series. I think she was kind of like the MVP. Mm. And there is a, mm. a bit where, like, Clarice sends her a letter or something, or a ring or something, and sends it to Adelia to basically tell, like, hey, I'm fine. I just, like, ran off into the sunset with a cannibal, NBD. And Adelia's like, what the fuck? Like, what the hell, Clarice? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, Send what, me this what? letter, you crazy woman. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that would be, because I, I, like, I don't know, I, I'm hesitant to say, I'd rewrite any other person's book, but that is one of the things. So I love that world. I love that universe. I just, that was just, like, one little misstep for me. I just, mm. I wouldn't have mm. had the two of them yeah. get together at the end. Yeah. It was something that was very solid that they just kind of made a bit of a mess of. It was such right a, like, a weird left was, turn as well. Yeah, it was really good, but yeah. then it just, it just kind of went that way. And we were like, oh, oh, okay. Because I remember um, going out and getting the book yeah. and being really excited. And yeah. going, oh, yes, There's it's so out, much it's hype out. for it. Getting it, reading it, reading it, yeah. and then getting to that bit and going, why have you done that? What the hell? <laughs> like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense with the yeah. character. It was just so, inherently not something that she know. would do. It was very weird. Yeah, it was odd. It was yeah. odd. All right, and last question. Last question. Um, we know you're a big Gambit fan. A massive Gambit fan. Yep, and um, you've got a big Gambit fan here. Yeah, and we well, do. I'm yeah. a Gambit yeah. fan too. <laughs> what? Bring on Raging Cajun. <laughs> so um, the question is, who would you choose in a film adaptation? What did you mean, like a, a to, to okay, play so, Gambit? Or? Yeah, yeah, to play. Okay, so obviously, you know, we've got this whole... Because it's Channing Tatum. Yeah, Whether right we like it or not, it's Channing Tatum. And we know they're switching <laughs> I had I had lunch with Channing Tatum. He seems like a cool guy. Based on the fact that he saw my Gambit tattoo. Oh, serious? Yes. Oh, yeah, shit. he was in Sydney promoting Magic Mike 2. Yeah. And I wasn't doing an interview. Generally, with the stars, you always have less time. And mm. to be perfectly honest, I was like, oh, I'm not super interested in like interviewing Channing Tatum. And it was Joe Monogalia. I wasn't super interested in... Mm like interviewing either of them to be honest I was like I'm much more interested in talking to the director and the writer yeah. slash producer because they had a, a kind of more interesting story and also yeah. I don't want to interview the actors for like two minutes but yeah. you know the writers directors you get to interview for 20 so I was interviewing one of the writers and he's like is that a gambit tattoo I was like well I guess so <laughs> yes it is and he's like can you hang around for a second because I got to show Chan like he will love that and this mm. guy is writing and producing a gambit movie as well yeah. and so I was like oh Okay, mm. and so he like we did the interview. And he took me out and he's like, "Come in here," and I was like, "Okay." And so he takes me into this hotel room and it's Channing Tatum and Joe Monagalia just hanging out. And he's like, "Chan, check out her tattoo. It's got a Gambit tattoo." Mm. He's like, "Oh my god, that's so sick. That's amazing. Wh- what are you doing? You want to have lunch?" And I was like, "Ah, I, I, I mean, like, sure, I guess." And so I ended up having um like a lunch with him and mm. we just talked about Gambit. And he's like, what do you like about the character? Yeah. Why do you like this? What do you think about that? When did you first like hear about Gambit, X, Y, Z? And he was telling me all about how he had been learning card tricks and sleight of hand yeah. for the movie and he'd been doing like bow practice and stuff so oh, he yeah, could yeah. spin yeah. the stuff and oh, how he used to run around the house with his dad's broom because yeah. he grew up just 45 minutes outside of New Orleans and mm. it was awesome. It was so exciting and I wasn't super down on that casting. I was yeah. like, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think yeah. he's super talented. I think he can play, you know, what's that saying that Kevin Smith has when you can play the shark in Jaws? 
Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think he could do that, and I think he was he was he could do anything really. Um, but I really loved Taylor Kitsch as Gambit. Mm. I thought mm. he was that was he was great in a terrible movie. Mm. It's interesting mm. because Ryan Reynolds was also great in that same terrible movie. Yeah. Mm. And Ryan Reynolds really hung in there and fought to get back to playing that character. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Of Deadpool because he loved it so much. And mm. Taylor Kitsch was kind of like, ah, let you know, Sleeping Dogs lie and moved on. Mm. But I thought he was so incredible as Gambit. Okay. I really loved him. I thought it was an excellent choice. So yeah. Mm. I really like, I really love Taylor Kitsch's Gambit, but uh, you know what? I just hope we get a Gambit movie, to be honest. Mm. I, that movie's been going through like a lot of struggles, <laughs> but mm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we get there. When they, Doug Lyman was doing it, the director of Edge of Tomorrow, yeah. I was really pumped, but he dropped out. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. The whole situation with the Gambit movie yeah, is weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there, there was talk about it at one point being, um, you know the fox were were holding it back because the budget was too big yeah. and the rumors going around were like it was a 200 million dollar movie and i was like as if why? that's bullshit as if like no offense fox <laughs> they've made some stupid calls can i get an amen mm-hmm. for the last fast and fantastic four movie and like <laughs> oh, yeah. just not letting x-men go back to marvel at this point like yeah. they've made a lot of fuck up yeah, yeah, yeah. there is no way they're giving $200 million to a Gambit movie where mm. most people don't know who the character is. Mm. $200 million to a Fantastic Four movie? Yeah, I'd buy that. Mm. I'd believe that. They practically did. I think it was actually like $80 million yeah. or something. Yeah, not including 80, reshoots. Mm. But like, they no way. They would be like, yeah, we'll give you $200 for your weird like, mm. hey, I'm a kind of a thief but also a superhero. Mm. Am I a villain? Who knows? Let's go. Mm. No <laughs> And what's, and what's your powers? You throw cards. Yeah. Mm. Dude, they wouldn't give, <laughs> they literally, they didn't give $200 to a Wolverine movie, they're mm. not going to be doing it for Gambit. No mm. way. Yeah, no. Yeah, and they did weird. that big cast photo at Comic-Con, remember? It was yes, the yes, Fox yeah. Marvel Universe, mm. and he was there in a Gambit, Channing Chatham was there in a Gambit shirt, and I'm just holding out hope that they can mm. get it over the line. It's going to be interesting mm. to see, because it's, mm. it's been a lot of years. It was a long time ago. Mm. It was a long time ago since I interviewed... Um, well, since I interviewed, since I had lunch with Channing Tatum about the Gambit movie, that was years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. and it's been a long time since then. So if yeah. we get it up and get it over yeah. the line, I'll be pretty intrigued. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So, so definitely. just, so just cutting there. If anybody heard that noise, I've got, we've got a five-year-old. My five-year-old son's here, and he hasn't made that much noise. <laughs> <laughs> but our friend Nazi, who saw it at this interview, has been here for thirty seconds. She's awesome. She's awesome, but she's got hands made of clay. Yeah. So. <laughs> we didn't mention she's all elbows, guys. <laughs> well, Maria, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I mean, we really appreciate thank it. Thank you so said. much for having me. And thanks um, so much for all awesome, the awesome man. questions. Yeah. Like we went deep on some geeky stuff, and that's kind of my. That's dream, what we do, man. Yeah, that's what we do. Kind of my dream. <laughs> Listen, we have loads more, man. We're going to save those for next time. Yeah. Yeah. But before you go, uh, Maria, can you let everybody know where they can, more importantly, find uh, Who's Afraid and Who's Afraid 2 and where they can find you on social media as well? So, look, depending on where you are in the world, um, you can get Who's Afraid and Who's Afraid 2 on Amazon. That's probably the easiest place because Amazon will have it in the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand or whatever. But also your local bookshop will have them in sellers. But you can find me on social media as Maria Lewis um, or at MovieMaz, two Zs. I'm on Facebook as Maria Lewis Writer, Instagram as Maria Lewis. Yeah, just have a bit of a googs. Mm. Have a bit of a Google and you'll find me eventually. Send cool. me a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> who would you cast as Gambit or who would you cast as Tommy Griefer? 
Yeah, but don't start any flame wars in her timeline. Please. No flame wars. <laughs> don't do I that. don't have time for that. We, shit. we really don't I'll have time for that. I'll just drop out of Twitter yeah. for a week. <laughs> Someone's gonna be starting shit or there's stuff like horrible hate or something like that going on. I'm just like, I'll just leave Twitter for a week. I don't give a shit. I got other stuff going on. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Well, lovely. Thanks again, Maria, no, for so making the time for, for us. Me. Yeah, it's, it's been brilliant to meet you, and hopefully, we'll uh, get to have you back on the podcast yeah, again soon. Yeah, this time in a year. Yeah, cool. Yeah. In fact, right. when, when's the next book out? Sorry. Um, early 2018. Early 2018. We don't have an exact date for it yet, but it's early 2018. Cool. Keeping okay. it vague. So basically, one a, one a year, yeah? Yeah, yeah, one a year. Okay. Um, they're pretty much January has been the month yeah. for the Who's Afraid books, if you're in Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And the release of the UK is usually around June or July, middle of the year. So your home, my home territories get it first, and then yeah. it rolls out to the rest of the world after that. So let's just say towards the first half of 2018, because we haven't locked in a release date yet, but going to be around for that time okay cool yeah nice, nice. still working on title at the moment i'm not sure i'm pushing for who's still afraid but also who's still afraid last summer could work or t- <laughs> like who's too afraid who's too furious i don't know yeah we're yes. workshopping stuff, go with that guys. we're workshopping who, definitely who's who afraid this time yes yeah. who's like hella afraid guys like question mark yeah awesome awesome all right well thanks a lot thank you um thank you listeners for joining us so we hope you enjoyed the interview with maria and as said make sure you go and follow her on social media um if you have any feedback for us as usual you know what to do pop into our social media and let us know um and thanks for joining us thank you very much take care bye-bye